Hey, what's up? You're listening to Talking About the Passion, and I'm Thomas Irwin. This is a podcast where I interview different independent musicians and showcase their music. As for myself, I'm a singer-songwriter and producer who goes by Niagara Moon. You can look up more about my own music at niagaramoonmusic.com. My guest for episode number four is James Smith. James is one of the members of the band Semi-Lucid. He is also the co-founder of Skyfeather Studios, which offers audio recording and production services, as well as photography, videography, web design, and more. He recently directed the music video for my song, Culture Loses to the Dollar. This guy is really excellent at what he does. I'm going to kick things off now by playing you a song by Semi-Lucid called So Confused, from their album, The Only Thing Keeping Me Here Is Gravity. After my conversation with James, you'll hear two more of their songs, but to start us off, here's So Confused. How long you been in Burien? I've been, been been in Burien since last April or March. About April. Moved in in April. So that makes it like seven or eight months. It's been a been a great, crazy eight months. Um, been trying to advance music and a studio at the same time. So there becomes a very big conflict sometimes because it's like, should I work on my music or should I work on other people's music when they're paying me? <laughs> it's a tricky balance. 
doing a passion project or doing something that uh, is paying. Yeah. Because like I'd love to get paid to make my own music and as a band, but people aren't paying me to do that generally. It's to, it's a little bit harder to find funding for that sort of thing when it's just the creative thing that you want to do. Right. So you said you moved here about seven or eight months ago. Yep. And where did you move from? I moved from Northgate. I was actually living in North Seattle and playing shows downtown. So like if I was going to go like back to playing shows more regularly again, this is almost better because I don't have to like go through downtown to get all of the venues in Soto. Um, actually sort of almost closer <laughs> to <laughs> where I want to play a lot of shows. But uh, how long have you been in uh, Seattle? Seattle, it's been almost four years. I moved here in 2013, like June of 2013. And I had no idea I was going to be playing music this much. Like when I moved, all I was, it was a guitarist <laughs> and it was not, I was not someone who wrote music. I was just a guitarist, just played music, had a couple guitars and did a lot of covers of like Papa Roach and Red Hot Chili Peppers and like all of like the, the songs that you learn when you start out. So like I learned how to play Stairway to Heaven, but I also learned like the solo in the song, like the part that no one learns. Seattle's been an amazing transition from Michigan because in Michigan, it's it's not a musical place the same way that Seattle is. You come to Seattle, everyone's got instruments in their house. Every like you go there and people's parents played and their parents' parents played. So you have instruments that have been like family not heirlooms really, but just kind of they've been in the family. And instruments have been around. But in Michigan a lot of the, the kind of family thing is cars or guns or houses and just property. So you can be like, Oh yeah, this like this farm that we live on was my great grandfather's farm and when he moved here. And in Seattle, just that that constant support of art and music has been very, very important in, in how I've progressed as a person. Because I moved here when I was 14 years old. So at that point in my life, it, everyone was asking me, what are you going to do with your life? Are you going to go to college and get a degree? And I was like, yeah, I want to go to college. Like, started out being great in school and everyone's telling you like, oh, you could, you could go and be a scientist for NASA because you're 10 years old and they want to tell you <laughs> that you can do the, do anything you want in the world. And then you get to be like 16 and they're like, oh, get a job. Oh, you, why are you doing this? Whatever you want to do, we, you got to, you got to do this thing. It's a pretty harsh transition right there. It, it is because you, you grow up and them telling you, you can do anything you want. And then you tell them what you want to do. And they're like, no, you can't do that. You can do anything you want except for that. And that was... That was a very big conflict for a couple of years where I was in this limbo of should I do the thing that I have decided I want to do, or on the other hand, I can do the thing that I used to say I wanted to do, which I wanted to get a degree in like physics and go and work for like NASA or something. Like still, I read wow. like uh, science blogs all the time and read a lot of scientific papers and uh, like all the stuff that's coming out is fantastic and amazing, but it's not like... It kind of goes back to that, that thing where, like, do I do the thing that I want to do or the thing that people are going to pay me a lot of money to do? And I think I've chosen, I think Seattle helped me choose uh, very early on to do something that made me happy. Right. Follow your, uh, your interests. Yeah. Um, do you remember how you first became interested in music? It was not because I, I wanted to do it myself very much. Like when I was like younger, my sister would be like, I'm gonna do cheerleading. So I'd be like, I'm gonna do cheerleading with my sister. And then she she did, took dance lessons, so I took dance lessons. And honestly, the way I started playing music was she took piano lessons, so I took piano lessons. And she was a year younger than me, so it's it, in retrospect, it's weird that I was like following her around a lot of the time. But it was kind of like one of those things was like, oh, if she can do it, I can do it better. So I started taking piano lessons and I remember uh, the first song I ever wrote was I was just like kind of doing arpeggios and I actually wrote it down in a book somewhere. Like I kind of want to try and find it and see like if it was any kind of a good song at the time. Um, and from there, uh, I joined band in, in middle school and played the oboe and the clarinet and some other, other, just other percussion stuff. And in high school, when I moved to Seattle, the band in Seattle was awful. I went from being in like <laughs> a, a 300 person school where since the school had 80 people in the band, if you weren't in the band, you were the weird one. Like everyone was wow, in bands. It's like almost a third of the entire school. Yeah, almost a, like it was, there was more people and there were so many people in band and so few people in the school that like when we had football games, you would have a couple of the football players come off the field to come play for halftime because they were also in band because everyone was in band. And then coming to Seattle, like the, I went to Nathan Hale up in Northgate they did not take music seriously and it was just kind of, it was kind of sad. It was not like a musical high school. 
Um, but the thing that they did excel in that I think, uh, looking back, was a better path for me to go was they had a music production class. It was called, I think it was something, it was like music, stu music study or something, where basically the teacher was a stoner from the 60s who just wanted to encourage kids to create. Of course. And... I think that was one of the like the healthiest decisions for me to make was to like stop playing oboe and really pursue guitar seriously. And in that class, I learned how to do a little bit of music production using Logic. And I had like it wasn't it wasn't a real band, but it was the first band that I was ever in. And we had a piano player who was like classically trained, and then me who was a guitarist who was I couldn't really stay in time that well because I mean I was a guitarist, so <laughs> we all kind of are terrible at that. And then we had this drummer named Kai, who was the worst drummer I've ever played with. <laughs> and then this like other musician who was a really well-rounded guy named Sage. And I think that was the first time that I realized that like I can do this as a, as a thing, where I'm not just playing other people's songs and writing my own songs. And we, we, I think we only wrote like two songs, but we played a lot of covers of things like Red Hot Chili Peppers and Modest Mouse. And I was like, this is, this is what songs are? Like I, I had to learn the bass part to teach it to one of the people and then fight, figure out the car chords to give to our classic piano player and learn the drum part so he could play it. And I was like, I could make stuff like this. That started to come together for you. You saw how it how it worked. Yeah, so that, that piano player, she ended up uh, joining my first band. Um, and we didn't have a name for the first while because we were very adamant that we were not going to have a terrible name. And we weren't going to change names. Those are those are the two rules. We weren't going to have a crappy name, and we weren't going to switch. So we were just we had a fake name until we were like set, like dead set in what we wanted, and we were called the Mobile Pineapple Posse. <laughs> a, a very very sounds like a Frank Zappa album. <laughs> yeah, like a, a just an awkward thing to say. Like it wasn't. It was something that we wouldn't get attached to, and we're kind of it's kind of nostalgic about it when back when we were the Mobile Pineapple yeah. Posse for a second. But we played music. We just I played drums loudly and badly because we didn't have a drummer. Oh, it was just me and the piano player. And you can't really have a band with just piano and guitar um, in what we wanted to do. So I became the drummer just because we didn't have one. Uh, we had a, another kid who was just a friend at my school who played piano and was like, oh, I know how to play trumpet. And he was our singer at first. I don't know why. Like, he can't sing very well. Um... And I love hearing him sing, just like he didn't have a lot of like technical skill at the time, but he still to this day like is in the band now and is uh, one of my favorite musicians to play with and write with. But like looking back, there was, I, I think I just didn't care at the time. And I think that was, uh, that was a good decision. And then the other person was this girl named Sage who joined uh, playing with us and she was my girlfriend at the time. And we wrote cheesy, bad songs that aren't actually that cheesy and bad to me now. But I think at the time when we were playing them, a lot of people thought they were just like, oh, look at these angsty kids. Hmm. Oh. And I was walking down the street talking to my friend on the phone about dreaming and how like sometimes you're like awake when you're dreaming and uh, just being able to control stuff like that. And I don't even remember the context, but I said semi-lucid just in the, in, as in the we conversation. Were, yeah, just in the conversation as I was walking down the street. And I stopped. And I remember the exact spot that I was. I was on Lake City on 120th, walking down 120th away from Lake City. And I was about 40 feet from Lake City. And I just stopped next to this fence and went, that's it. That's the name. That's the band name. Wow. And she, the girl I was on the phone with, she had no idea what I was talking about. And I was like, it, just don't, don't worry about it. That's it. That's the name. <laughs> just came to you. And... I, I, I can't imagine being anything else. I can't imagine semi-lucid not being semi-lucid. And I think that to just decide the way things were going to be has definitely driven a lot of the way the band is formed. And yeah, that's that's kind of how I had started playing music. Uh, I was copying my sister, uh, dro at, dropped out of band to do a music study class that was very loosely run that gave me the freedom to figure out that I could do this. And then, then I started a band. So you guys have been together for how long now? Uh, I think 2014, I would say, was was our defining year. So, like, three years. Really, like, two and a half years, because the first couple months were very formative when we didn't know what we were doing yet. And uh, how many members are in the band? Uh, currently, it's, like, very fluid. Um, I would say there's four, but it's, like I said, it's fluid. So one of our members lives in Idaho, and one of our members is just finishing high school, or 
lots of them are, but he's like very focused on it. Right, a bunch of youngins. In college. Yeah. So, so but mostly me and Sage are the main members right now writing and finishing the album. Right. Um, we have a bandmate named Wood, who's in Idaho, who writes fantastic so guitar songs. So there's two band members in Idaho? No, just one. Wood's the one in Idaho. Oh, okay. So there's one guy in Idaho, one guy finishing up high school stuff, and then the other two are like the solid members right now. Gotcha. So, so you are on guitar mainly? I'm on drums mainly. Like oh, really? if we're in the studio, I'm on anything. Okay. I'll, I'll come and make a ukulele part for a song. I'll hop on synth and just write something. We'll record something and be done with it, and then I'll go back to it and do overdubs for everything. Um, but for live shows, stuck on drums every day. And we're we're slowly working away from that. Uh, the guy that's finishing up high school stuff, uh, Christian, he's he's learning drums more. And Wood, the guy in Idaho, he's been practicing a lot. So we hope to eventually one day be able to, any of us can play drums. Um, since the band started, they've all seen me kind of just like die on the inside as a guitarist. <laughs> as a, as a like, that, that's what I am first and foremost, having right. been kind of banished that's to the drums. That's your true role. It's, I love playing drums live. It's one of my, like, I would almost like rather do that every day of my life than anything else. But I also miss playing guitar. I never got the chance to be a guitarist live except for like two shows. Mm. And... That kind, I, I want to experience that too. Yeah, so I'm, I'm on usually on drums. Sage is singing or playing piano or playing ukulele. And she's a fantastic singer, so that's usually who we have kind of fronting things. Christian was that kid that played trumpet, and he'll rap and do screaming and play piano and is very energetic and is, is kind of the counterweight to me being very energetic. So it's not just me up there and then a bunch of dead bandmates. Um, and then Wood is a fantastic vocalist. When he started out, he wanted to be a rapper. Like when most people think of rap, like trap beats and like having way too much bass in your car, like boom, 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 boom. Yeah, top 40. Yeah, yeah, that kind of rap stuff. And not that I don't consider it like the music that people usually make in high school, but it was generally not like a, not like band music. It was like you get, you'd be a producer kind of music. And he saw what me and Christian were doing, playing music uh, in that music theory class and kind of just making stuff. And he was like, I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to, I'm going to change what I'm doing and, and kind of do that. Mm. And he picked up a guitar and was terrible and made this really awful band. <laughs> and he put in more work than I've ever seen anyone for music. Like every day, just hours. He was awful at piano and awful at singing and awful at guitar. And he just put in hours and hours and hours and hours. And he went away for Idaho to visit his family over the summer. And when he came back, he was actually decent. And I was like, I want you to be in my band. He was, he was always our number one fan. And we just, grew his friends and I can't imagine the band without him now. He's fantastic. And then uh, he's usually on guitar for shows. He's a fantastic guitarist. Wow. So a lot of multi-instrumentalists. In yes. This he ensemble. can play guitar. All of us play ukulele. So we, we fantasize about having a show where it's only ukulele for the entire show. Or maybe going down to like Pike Place and just busking with like a guitar and three ukuleles or something like that. So uh, how are the songs written? It usually is is there's a seed. So one of us has a riff that is catchy or cool or like a chord progression, and then they'll write, write words to it. And I think we do most most of the real writing for this band in solitude. I don't know if I've ever really written words that ended up being in a song while I was like with my bandmates, except for like maybe one or two songs. Usually like I'll come up with chords and then write the song and then they fill out the parts. Or one of, that's usually how it happens is one of us like writes most of the song as like a solo piece. So we have a song called Mask, which was just a piano part and vocals. Yeah. And we made like a really heavy synth lead that was like really dirty and just like burn. Uh, I have this really energetic drum part that I do to it. And then Sage sings like choir-ish, like Oz over the top. And then Wood helps rap in the middle of it. And it's, it's usually what we start our show with. And that was written, it was just, it was just a piano riff. And that's, that's how a lot of it starts, is just like a single riff or a, a part that we all build on. And uh, who does the majority of the lyrics, would you say? That's a really tough one, because since it all usually comes from like seeds... Um, Everybody... Everyone kind of puts in a bit. Uh, it's usually whoever whoever did that song. So like Mask was the, all the vocal... All of the lyrics are from Christian. But there's a song that I wrote called Tales of a Tree that entirely was me. Um... And then Sage did a song recently called Sixteen and in it it's entirely her. So mm. I think it's I think it's per song. It's just it's yeah. all mostly whoever. depends on who started the song. Who started the song. And it's kind of like their song. Um there's a couple that I can think of where we like collaborated and we're like, oh we need a 
chorus for the song. So let's try and not be too cheesy and we'll just kind of sing to that riff until we come up with something that we like. Yeah, there's kind of all sorts of ways to go about it. Yeah. What do you find yourself writing songs about usually if you think you're Oh, that's that's where the angst anything in particular. <laughs> that's where that's where the angsty part comes in because oh, yeah? it's it's I have a lot I have a really hard time writing happy songs. Um not that I don't think I could write a song that sounded happy, but generally I wouldn't just because the emotion like I'm a I'm a pretty uh, upbeat happy person. Most people see me smiling when they interact with me. Um, but those aren't like the special points for me. It's like the low points when I start writing stuff. So a lot of my songs end up just being about things that I'm upset about or things that I'm dealing with or the things that I'm not happy about. So Tales of a Tree is is kind of a play on words. Um, when Wood came back from Idaho and could actually play a little bit of music, uh, we recorded a song called Broken Glass. And I missed, I jokingly was like, oh, we'll record an entire EP for you. It'll be called Tales of a Tree because his name's Wood. Hmm. Then he joined the band instead. So then he was just on our first album. Uh, the only thing keeping me here is gravity. Instead of just letting that name go to waste, I was like, I'm going to use that for a song. And we had a song that just didn't really have a good ending. So I started writing an ending to it um, in a kind of honor of him. And I was like, instead of making an ending, I'm going to just take that title that I was going to make into a song and take this ending and make it into that song. And yeah, Very resourceful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I think I had a lot of meaning like left in that that title and in the ending of that song, and I think that was definitely like the, that those emotions right there were the things that I wanted to come through in the song. So that song is about him and him leaving for Idaho at the end of our album release, like the night of our album release. He went back to Idaho uh, to move back there, and that was that was hard. That was hard to deal with for a little while because he was like this. He was like the trouble kid a bit, and then he like turned his life around to become a musician. A lot of songs are just kind of like, I used to like writing more poetry than I do now. Um, it can get really cliche. So I try and avoid like all the classic cliches that you hear in like top 40 songs, but it ends up with like sounding more angsty sometimes than some of our songs. Like they just end up being semi-lucid songs. I don't know. It's it's one of those things where like I, can, I could go by, uh, go through a analysis of like lyrics and probably point out like oh this is what I meant by that oh that's that's a reference to this thing in my life but for the most part like it's just kind of for me it's it's what I'm dealing with I think for Wood a lot of his songs are more based on people he'll just kind of like around this person he'll have this emotion and it'll inspire like this sort of song and the song's not really about them but it's definitely like inspired by them right so you were uh, mentioning earlier about uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers and Modest Mouse and is that <laughs> yeah. your kind of is that what you uh, I, I grew draw up on, from most, most I grew up often? I from like or? Iron Maiden and Metallica okay. and the, so the like like classic, me, like that's what my dad listened to, and like a lot of like heavy stuff that was, I don't think I really draw from, the, draw from that a lot, except for a lot of my inspiration to be the best guitarist that I could be. Um, but then when I discovered Modest Mouse, I was like, whoa, it's not about, like my dad was one of those people that was like, oh, you got to be the best at it or why even do it? And I think the last few years has definitely been me dismissing that idea that like you shouldn't do it if you're not going to be amazing at it. Like some, it's I kind like, of a lot of pressure to put on yourself right from the get go. Yeah, yeah. I like I would say I'm a very good guitarist and I put on a lot of work, but I think I would have been benefited more in the beginning of my guitar career if I'd been focused more on the creativity aspect than the skill aspect of it. So I can play a lot of fast stuff and I have a lot of technical guitar parts. But I love like the stuff that Modest Mouse does, like just like that never-ending flowy, like melodic. I I'm not one of those people that actually, like, funny enough, I don't hardly use any pedals when I play guitar. Like, there's a couple effects that I really enjoy, but I sold my wah wah pedal and I sold my like anything that like I have a yeah. distortion pedal and a reverb pedal, and past that, I you don't want to keep get, it simple. Yeah, I I usually just focus on like what I'm actually playing instead of like a. a, a like hella effects when like those people that have like 30 effects on their board and I think that I draw from more things that that are upbeat and inspire me and say things in a way that's like I think eloquent then like this they'll say more in a verse than I could I could write in pages yeah and like there's, there's some verses that I can think up that like they don't say a lot but they say enough 
Um, there's one in a song called Forest by 21 Pilots where he's talking about just realizing like everything changes when you look at it just from even a slightly different angle than you normally look at it from. And sometimes you realize that you're not looking at it from the angle that you normally do. And you're just like, whoa, how did things get this way? And, and suddenly you have this outside perspective on your life that you didn't have a moment ago. And you realize that like these problems in your life that you're having, that you're trying to overcome are your fault. And these things that are destroyed in your life are your fault. And he's like, uh, you're, yeah, he's like, my tree, my tree house is on fire and I smell gas in my hands. And this is not what I had planned. And just that moment of like goosebumps when you get to the end of it and you end that payoff and, and it's a verse like you, you experience it in seconds like you can count yeah. how many seconds long it's about that putting took. a lot in a little yeah and that, that's the kind of stuff i draw from is just like anyone can can write a speech like 20 you give someone 20 minutes and you can say a lot you give someone three minutes in a song and if that, that song is important and can change someone's like opinion on just like the way they should live their lives. Like that's why I love cinemas. Like in an hour and a half, you can make people come out of a theater just like, oh my god, I have transformed. To, I have to change the way I live my life now. But if you can do that in a song, or like I said, like just a verse, like that's the kind of music that I love listening to. And I don't think words are necessary for that a lot of the time. Like I listen to a lot of electronic music these days, and the emotions that you can just come across and just. Just the feelings that people portray yeah. non-verbally are, I think, are very powerful. This makes me want to do my own podcast, just talking about why I make music. Oh, you caught the virus. Like, this is fun, just talking to a microphone. So in addition to Semi-Lucid, you run a production company? Yeah, I run a, I would call it a post-production company because we we don't do a lot of like on-site stuff these days, but a lot of like footage and audio files are handed to us after the fact. So we regularly have musicians come in with tracks they already recorded somewhere else or beats they've made or had someone make, and they'll record vocals with us and they'll have us like mix it and make it sound good and stuff like that. And that was a necessity thing. Like when I when I started Semi-Lucid, I was like, well, we're going to be one of those bands that doesn't write music normally. Like we aren't going to sit around in a room with someone on a keyboard and someone on a guitar and play for seven hours and just come up with stuff. A lot of it's by ourselves. So after I'm done at the end of the day of playing by myself, I, I want to show my friends tomorrow. Or maybe I want to show them tonight. Maybe I don't want to wait till tomorrow. So I would record it and send it to them. And I just wanted to be better at that. And then I was like, oh, I don't even need them. I can just record it all myself. Ooh. And And you still need people for live stuff and you still need people for writing. But there's a lot of, I think... Uh, is a lot of agency it was like I can I can write the bass part and just it's done then it's just there got a lot of home recording yeah yeah and I had a looper pedal first that was the first uh my first way to fix it was I I could loop for like three or four minutes I think and I did a lot of looping for my early writing was just make a loop play over it play over it for an hour play over it for two hours come up with a lot of cool stuff in that time and I wasn't happy because then after I recorded it on my looper pedal to get it online, then I just recorded it on my iPhone. Just the built-in microphone, just sitting it somewhere uh, in the room. And lost a lot of the fidelity that way. I actually got some okay recordings. I figured yeah. out how to do it okay. But it was, I could, like, then, then I got it drums. And you can't record drums on a four track on an iPhone. No. It, it, didn't, it didn't work out so well. Like, I could put my, my phone in front of the amp and use a four track on my iPhone and, and that worked okay. But then audio engineering, I never, I never dreamt, like looking back now, I never dreamed that I would be in the position I am now running a studio. Like, oh my God, like I would have. Yeah, so how did you start that? So Well, like I, I, the first step was deciding I wanted to record better stuff. The second step was actually becoming better and going, oh, this is just as much fun as the music aspect. Taking like someone's vocals and a guitar part and a drum kit that does not sound good and making it sound professional is, is like kind of a challenge and it's a lot of fun. It's like painting something you just built. It's, it's that finishing touch that really like can change the way a song is perceived. Absolutely. I had a, I had a bit of an issue when I was like 16 uh, recording at home and my parents didn't like me doing that for a while. So I was looking around Craigslist just for musicians to play with, places to play, things like that. And Alexander, the person that I do recording with now, had an ad to come into the Art Institute and record at their studio mm. that was there. And you get a free recording of a song. And I was like, oh, this is, this is not, I can't record right now. This is enticing. So packed all of our gear into my friend's truck, drove down there, and I got into a real recording studio and looked around and was like, oh, wow, this is, this is, this is snazzy. Because it was like, 
a multi-million dollar studio oh with like $170,000 mixing board and microphones worth more than all of the equipment we bought as a band combined. Yeah. And I, I didn't like the recording. It wasn't good. It, really? Alexander looks back and he's like, yeah, I was terrible at it back then. And I realized that gear chasing doesn't make you sound better. It's not like, the gear so much as it is the technique. No, our, our performance playing there was probably not stellar when we were recording stuff. Like just, I know my drum track was probably pretty garbage and we just weren't in our element, never been in a real studio before. Everything up to that point was recorded in a garage, but we went home and went, we're going to make an album. And we did. Our first album was recorded entirely in my garage and I wanted to just make it as good as I could. I didn't need it to be the best, but I wanted it to be as good as I could do. And looking back, I could have done better knowing the things I do now, but I, I don't regret it. Like, if I open up the project files, I regret it a little bit. I'm like, oh, that was that was really poor mixing and, and mastering <laughs> on my part on most of it. But from there, like me and Alexander remained friends, and we just both had this passion for music and audio, and like just wanted to do more of that. And I had the kind of the bug of just like, oh, I've been in a real studio. What if I had a better space to record in than a garage? If I can get this recording in a garage, what could I get in a more of a legitimate space? If I had better like professional microphones instead of just whatever I could afford as a 16-year-old, what could I do? And I'm at that point right now where I'm no longer forced to work around what I have. It's I'm being forced to think about what I want to make because I have means right. to do it now. With more options comes kind of... In some ways, it can kind of hurt creativity sometimes if you don't have limits. I, I actually had a friend ask me that today. She said, do you regret everything? And I was like, no, because I was talking to her about music. And she's like, I have so many options. I don't know what to do. Like, should I do an old song that I've already written? Should I write a new one? And if I do write a new one, what do I write it about? And I was like, trust me, it only gets worse because you realize that there's many more options than you than you thought you had. Yeah, you kind of just got to take it one step at a time, yeah, go with your gut. And then you look back. And then you, you, you sometimes regret even more because you're like, whoa, not only were there more options than I thought I had, there were even more options than I even didn't know that I didn't know that I thought I had. <laughs> like just avenues of, of thinking that just really require networking and meeting new people and finding new points of view to, to figure out that that's a, that's a thing you can do. Like a lot of the electronic influences that we use in our music now, I learned because of Alex, watching him make music date for days and days just techniques he uses and i look back and i'm like man this would have made my life easier trying to mix normal songs and this is a technique that i, I wouldn't have learned otherwise except from working with an, an electronic artist for like weeks at a time and i think that i think that a lot of musicians can definitely get in that box where they're just like in this echo chamber of like oh i make metal music you make metal music and then they they don't grow as a musician and they don't expand their knowledge keep doing the same thing yeah I think uh, electronic music is one of the least stagnant genres. Stuff from four years ago sounds dated. Like if you listen to like Bass Hunter or Skrillex, like a lot of oh, their, is that already dated now? That's not a lot of Skrillex's stuff is already like a lot of his early stuff when he was Bang first Rang. getting first getting popular. Yeah, it just it sounds very it sounds very dated. Like the the genre moves so fast. And I think that you get genres like rock, where you can play a rock song now or country, and it doesn't sound all that Hasn't different. Hasn't really changed it, from no. 20 years ago. No, yeah. you listen to it in 1998, like the early 2000s, some of that sounds kind of dated because of some of the stuff they did. And certainly if you listen to 80s, you can hear like the 80s influences, but it's no longer like decades. But like stuff from like 2014, some of that sounds like, like an electronic music. You're just like, oh, no one really does that anymore. And I think one of the reasons that it, that it moves so fast is because... Like I, uh, like I was talking to someone about earlier, like anyone with a computer can make electronic music. You can have a kid with a laptop make beats that like resonate around the world. And you do. You have a lot of those people that just, since they started doing it, they were really good at it. But then like you throw a guitar in someone's hands and it, it can take years before they make anything that is notable. And I think even though we've got like 75 years of like guitar music and rock and like some like I guess what would I call what I would call more like classically made music with like uh real analog real instruments. instruments yeah yeah I I have trouble with that phrase too <laughs> real it's kind of loaded yeah because like if you know what electronic music takes to make 
like everyone's like, oh, it's it's not real instruments. They're not real musicians. But then you put them down in front of a computer and like, okay, if you, if it's so easy, just you do it. They'll come up with the same similar sounding thing of like the the fruity loops, just kind of like boo doo doo boo doo boo doo doo boo doo doo, like just kind of that like yeah ditzy little loop of like eight bars. I think of I mean real instruments. It's anything that was made to be an instrument. A musical instrument. So even like a synthesizer or electronic keyboard or whatever, those are still instruments. I just I hesitate to call a laptop an instrument because it wasn't made specifically to be a musical instrument. I don't know. I think laptops were made to create and and music is a creation. Like create and communicate as I would say is like the is the the like a computer is made to do that. And that's that's what we use them for with like music. Yeah. Like it's a, uh, a fair point. I wouldn't consider anything that can make a noise not an instrument. Like mm. I've I've used a cup, yeah, upside down and hitting it with a nail as an instrument in songs before. I've used a wooden. Uh, I used to do larping and I used a shield that I hit with like the palm of like my hand as a kick drum before. Oh wow! And you can do like and crazy sound design in a lot of like cinematic music with just household objects. I think it was uh, Tom Waits. I don't know if you listen to his music at all. Some of it. He was big into experimenting to get the right drum sound, like using tools that no one else would think to, Yeah. you know, like hitting a two by four yeah. on the side of a wall or something. And you're like, okay, that's a good sample. That's what we're going to use. Yeah, it's that, definitely, that's how uh, it's made. I think it's an underrated way to approach drum tracks to yeah, not even, getting percussion. Uh, you know, I don't, I think doesn't it, always have to be the traditional just like rock drum five, set four piece yeah. yeah i think that it can go beyond drum kits like i used for a for instead of using a cello in a recent track i put a microphone right up to like the skin of one of my friend's throats and just had them make it like a low aww, and then i pitched it down even further so that way it was like really really deep and it sounds like a cello it sounds like a, like a synthesized cello that is just really thick and is not a waveform that you could make any way hmm. any way else and when you, I think when you start thinking about music creatively like that and really start looking at like how many options you have, like like I told my friend, once you realize there's just so much more you could do, it, it can be really daunting. My advice for anyone who's like stuck in that moment where they're like, should I do this or that? Just do something. I think that would be... Do what you most want to do. I don't even just what you most want to do because if you if you have to do what you most want to do, then you have to figure that out. That's another thing. Just do anything that you <laughs> think you want to do. Whatever is the first thing that comes to mind. I yeah, guess. just do something. I think that's yeah, where try a lot of, anything. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of people get stuck up. Um, is they're just like, oh, I I have a guitar or bass, but I don't really play. And that's that's a lot. You hear a lot Good of people say that. that. Yeah, and you're like, well, you're never gonna play then. Just just play, and you'll you'll get better. I promise. I mean, probably. <laughs> but like I said earlier, you don't have to be the best for it to be worthwhile to do. You just got to do you, right? Yeah. I think that's been also for a lot of musicians, they get in this idea of like, oh, I have to sound like this and no one's going to like it. And I, and I want you to knock that out right now. Yeah. Because that is not true. Like, no matter what you make, someone out there will like it. Listen to Yoko Ono. Her music's crazy <laughs> and weird. And she does these live yeah, she does these live performance things that sound insane, and people love it. And for every genre that you think of that you hate, there's a million people out there that love it more than anything else. Every song you've ever heard is probably someone's favorite song. I mean, people, like, I think that they don't realize that that could be them that make that song. But I guess the important thing is you do something that you yourself are into. You yeah. don't want to just try to please other people. With Sky Feather Studios, how often are you recording other people's music? Uh, from, for the most part, it's like every week it, about, it seems like we have someone else that comes in with You have with a lot of tracks. clients? We have a lot, we have a lot of, uh, varied clients. Like it's fairly consistent with, uh, people returning. Like they'll do a song and they're like, oh, we want to do another song or, or here's like a, a video that we want to do. Or, uh, in some people's cases, like they're doing, we've done a podcast for some people and. Uh, most people come back, I think, is where a lot of our, our actual work comes from, is just the repeat work, yeah. just getting that first uh, first person to come in. Um, one of my favorite things to do is, is record bands in the studio, but we don't get them in, we actually get them in the least, is actual mm. bands, and that's what we want to do the most, of course. Yeah, um, get everything live in the studio. Uh, the, the thing we probably get in the most, actually, is solo artists and generally vocalists, and then subcategorizing that more down to rappers. 
just because they're people that actually like I think it might just be the convenience of it because when you have a band like a drummer and a bassist and a vocalist I mean like like if you actually break down how many people are drummers and vocalists and guitarists the chances of having all three of those people together and also wanting to play music together and also wanting to record an album together or a song the odds get smaller and smaller but if you just have one person with some beats that, that has a dream you can they can just come in and record yeah, vocals there's a lot more of those solo acts than yeah. cohesive groups of yes. three or four people with yes. the same mission yeah yeah it, it's interesting seeing a lot of the people that come in just totally unprepared too like most of the people that come in probably should have spent a little bit more time preparing i would as an engineer i would recommend coming in prepared to the studio just pre-production just like Play to a click track. Play your songs to a click track. Does it work to a click track? Figure out how long different parts of your song are. Figure out beforehand, like, what instrumentation you're kind of going for. Like, it really sucks to get, like, four hours into a session, and they're like, actually, it should be faster. Yeah, we usually play it faster. We'll play to a click track, figure out what the tempo is, and then that's what we'll record it at. So I take it you're working with a lot of people where this is their first time in a studio? Yeah, we're we're actually, like, that's one of the things that we're kind of... Uh, proud about is just being very available because I think that I don't think that anyone should be denied the entry to being an artist because of price I just always hope that like we'll be the gateway to someone who just finds their passion that way nice I want to inspire more people to create that sounds really rewarding so in addition to recording services uh, what else what other services does Skyfeather provide uh, we do video production and photography, and we'll do like live sound recording. Um, those are like the main four. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, just you and Alex. Yeah, we have we have other people that we can call in for bigger projects. Okay. So it's not just me on on the video side. I can usually I have like three or four other people that are available to come on for bigger projects and. Uh, our gear list is actually much bigger than it seems just because being able to call on other people for favors and things to borrow is very helpful. Audio production is like, I'd say about half of what we do. And a lot of it's post-production for audio. How long have you been into uh, making videos? Not not terribly long. Uh, I started out making videos like my sophomore year of high school. Sounds like a long time ago, but actually it wasn't that long ago. And we had a, a Japanese project where we, we had to make a video and, and say like these specific things, like amount of specific things in it and use uh, a, a number of different terms. And I was really involved in the writing the story aspect, making like the Japanese side of it like work. And then my friend took on most of the video production and watching him do that, I was like, oh, I could do that. that that's nothing. And then I tried to make a video and it was terrible. It was really bad. <laughs> and I tried doing lots Crashed of... and burned. Yeah. And, and then it was like a year and a half of like just kind of, I could do that. And always saying, I could do that, but never actually going on doing it. Because you can't fail if you don't do it. So had you been interested in the idea of making music videos for a while? In that kind of way that everyone is sort of fascinated by music videos. I mean, music videos today are, are like right there with music. They're just as, just as important in, in some, some genres. And I was just like, oh man, these are these are cool ideas for a video. Maybe I'll make a video about it someday. Like, I don't know if you knew this, but you can, like the paint, uh, the paint can. So the, there are the cans that paint come in. You can get that same size can, but instead of being full of paint, is full of cheese, like liquid, like nacho cheese. I want to make a video about that. <laughs> I mean, I guess I could just use paint, maybe, but I want them to eat it. So. I can't really eat paint. <laughs> no, that'd be that'd be dangerous. But like it was just always stuff like that was like, oh, this is a really cool idea for a video. Might as well put it to music or maybe make the video more centered around the music. And then that's kind of where it stems from a lot is just ideas that are too ridiculous for cinema and not not suitable for just a standalone video. Right. There's a certain kind of idea that just works best put to music. Yeah, just just best as a music video. And then you can get away with a lot. You can get away with a lot of weird decisions. Just say, oh, it's a music video, you know. We always do weird <laughs> I guess that's true. You can pretty much try anything and people just, won't really bat an eye. Yeah, and look at Vaporwave for that. It's funny. I talked about Vaporwave a little bit with my last guest. I guess yeah. it's becoming very popular. Yeah, no, it's it's great. Like, I think as a genre, it's hilarious and like just self-aware <laughs> more so than a lot of other music is. 
I would just like to say that like musicians who are on the fence about taking it seriously, it is a legitimate thing that you can do. Like no one ever told me that you can be a musician. They said you can do whatever you want. And when I told them I wanted to be a musician, they said you can't do that. You have to get a real job. And you don't have to get a real job. Like things that inspire you and you're good at, you should pursue. But you got to work hard at those things too. Right? Oh yeah, no, it, it's it's just as it's more work. Like, I'm not going to lie to anyone and say it's easy. It's it's more work. You'll spend a lot of nights up all night trying to figure stuff out, and you'll be bad at it. And people are going to be better than you for everything you do. And I think throwing away the notion that you have to be the best for it to be your job or for it to be a hobby that you do or for it to be a reason that you do it should just go away. Yeah. And just doing it because you love it and figuring out a way to like make money doing that. Like, I wanted to make music, so my, I figured out how to way to make money with it make other people's music <laughs> but it's totally worth it and if it's your passion you should do it all right well this was a blast i really enjoyed having you on yeah thanks for having me on too i enjoyed it and uh i hope that your next podcast goes fantastic thank you sir okay another one done that was a good time and thank you to james for letting me use his microphones for that interview I'm noticing that these episodes are starting to get a little longer, so thank you for sticking through the whole thing. If you like this episode of Talking About the Passion and want to support what I'm doing, please write a review on iTunes and subscribe. Also, if you have any suggestions, questions, or anything else for me about the podcast, you can email tatppodcast at gmail.com. Coming up now, we have two more semi-lucid songs. The first is Mask. And then following that, the song Master Plan. So stay tuned for those, and I'll be back next Wednesday. Please don't leave, I need you more than you need me